In the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 1, Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, as you have on your worksheet there this morning, you can follow along. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation, say it with me, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. You can repeat that. Go ahead. Paul says, there is now no condemnation, Paul says, for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, I want to focus on that one word before we move any further. He says, there is now. He says, now. What does that mean? That means that something changed. Did you grasp that? Something changed here. Because he says there is now no condemnation. Where basically Paul is saying was there was condemnation before, but there isn't anymore. So what changed? What took place in our lives that now we have no condemnation? Well, you gave your life to Jesus Christ. Oh man, you got, you got to grasp that this morning. When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, there is no more condemnation. That's amazing. This is what the enemy doesn't want you to understand, church. See, this morning we're going to be looking at conviction versus condemnation. Don't worry, this isn't lipstick, this is chapstick. <laughs> Don't get all scared this morning. Conviction versus condemnation. We need to understand what both are, where they come from, what they do, and how we are going to win through Jesus Christ. See, condemnation, as your worksheet says, it is from Satan. See, apart from Christ, all people deserve condemnation. Why? Because we sinned against a sinless God. But Jesus Christ took that wrath and took that condemnation of everyone on Calvary's cross. For you and I, he died and paid the price for our salvation. And that's why Paul was able to write that in Romans 8.1. But that doesn't stop the enemy from trying to make you and I feel condemned. So we know condemnation is from Satan. The first point here is condemnation seeks to draw us away from God. Condemnation seeks to draw us away from God. The Bible speaks in Genesis chapter 3. In verse 1 it says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. 
One day he asked the woman, he asked the woman, Eve, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Eve said, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom it would give her. And so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then the Bible says she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. And so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. And so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Number one here is that condemnation seeks to distort. Condemnation seeks to distort. See, we need to understand, first and foremost, what condemnation seeks to do, and that is to draw us away from God. You have to understand that. But in doing that, it's going to distort for you and I what we see and how we may hear things. See, the enemy led them to believe that the opening of the eyes would be a good thing. Remember what he says. He says, you won't die. God knows that when your eyes will be opened, you will be like God. You will know both good and evil. That sounds good. He made it seem so enticing. To have your eyes opened is what you really need, is what he was telling Eve. But little did, he, little, little did Eve know that in reality, the opening of the eyes that the enemy was spewing to her was actually the opening of sin's door. That same sin that leads to shame. That same sin that leads to guilt. Do any of you, are any of you like me and you feel shame and guilt when you sin? When you do things that you know is not, a, is, is not godly? I know I'm not the only one. It's the same sin that causes these things, that, that guilt, that shame. It may even cause hate. It even causes hopelessness. 
We experience shame as Adam and Eve did. And the Bible says that, that when they, as, a, as you read here, as their eyes were opened, and as they ate that fruit, the first thing they did was hide. The Bible says that the Lord God walked through the garden, and because of what Adam and Eve did, the Bible says that they hid from God. Why did they hide? That's called shame and guilt. The Bible says that their eyes were opened as the, as the enemy said they would be, but it wasn't a good thing. They, they quickly understood that the eyes opening was a very bad thing. And the enemy will do this to us. We begin to distance ourselves from God. We begin to even distance ourselves from anything that is godly. From anything or even anybody. You don't want to be around anyone who's even talking about God. Isn't that how we feel? When you find yourself doing things that you know you shouldn't be doing, the last thing you want to hear is anything about God. Why? Because of that shame and guilt brought on by condemnation. I wish that I could just take it back. That goes through our head many times. If I could just have a do-over. Church, you can't change the past. You got to ask God to help you move forward and to do things differently moving forward. See, the enemy would try to even cause us to harbor hate. What do I mean by that? That means that you will even hate your fellow believers. Maybe, maybe, you, see, maybe you see God using someone's life and you can't stand it. It angers you because the life that you may be living, the sin that is, that is uh, uh, maybe that has taken place in your life. This is what the enemy seeks to do, church. You need to understand this. We experience that hopelessness. God doesn't love me anymore. How can he possibly use someone like me? I can't change. I'm a lost cause. How many ever spoken these words over your life before because of sin? This is what the enemy seeks to do, church. You need to understand this because we're exposing very vital things this morning. You see, condemnation keeps us locked up in a prison that doesn't even exist. It's an imaginary prison that we put ourselves in. We ourselves become the judge and the jailer. We do this to ourselves in condemnation. See, condemnation will say things like, are you really forgiven? When we say you, Giving your life to Christ, he's going to forgive your sins. And you say, 
Am I really forgiven? That's condemnation speaking. That's the enemy. See, because God wants you to just, what? Believe. He says, believe. We begin to maybe even use God's word as it was not even intended to be used in the first place. We may read, we may read Psalm 14, 3, uh, where it says, no, no one does good, not a single one. Or what Paul says in Romans 3, 10, no one is righteous, not even one. And then we read those verses and we say, see, there's no hope for me. I can't do any good. Well, you're only partially right because there is no good in us, yes. The only goodness is in Jesus Christ. But there is hope for you. God does have a plan for you. God does still love you. God does still want to use you for his honor and his glory and for his kingdom building. It's from the enemy. And we know that it is a lie. It's a lie. What he told Eve was a lie. What he tries to tell us today is a lie. It's always been a lie. You don't have to live in that any longer. See, condemnation not only seeks to distort, but it seeks to destroy. Number two, condemnation seeks to destroy. John 10.10 says the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. Now something that you might miss in that verse and that I want you to also hold on to and write in your notes this morning the Bible calls him the thief. What does that mean? What does it mean that the Bible calls the enemy a thief? Well, that means that he is trying to take, you need to grasp this this morning, he is trying to take what is not his. Did you get that? I hope you got that this morning. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. He is trying to take what is not his in the first place. You are his. If you are a believer, if you have committed your life to serving Christ, if you had asked for forgiveness and asked Jesus to come into your heart to be your Lord and Savior, amen, you are God's. You're God's property. And he calls the enemy the thief because you're, you are no longer the enemy's property. Thank you, Jesus. But he sure loves to try to make it seem as if he's your papa. He's your daddy, right? I got the best things for you. Look what I got. Look what I got right here. Look what I got right here. This is all for you. He's slick. 
But it's all a lie. It's all, it's all deceit. He's distorting the truth with the purpose of destroying you. See, many times when we find ourselves doing things that we should not be doing, we can become desensitized to those things, can't we? Have you ever touched something hot before? Maybe, maybe the iron was on and you accidentally touched the iron. What's the first thing you did? And don't say you said anything bad. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> it's between you and God. <laughs> What's the first thing you did? You, you pulled your hand back, right? Did any of you leave your hand there? <laughs> no one. You're all smart. It's the way God made you, amen? God made you smart. Thank you, Jesus. You need to tell yourself that. Don't call yourself a dummy. I know we may, we may do dumb things, but we are not dummies, amen? We are made in the image of, of God. And so when you touch that hot iron, you pull your hand back really quick. Why? Because it was hot. Because it hurt. And that's the way God wants us to be with sin. When something comes your way, Oh, man, this is, this is good. When something comes your way and, and, you, and you know it's not godly and you get a little too close and you touch it and you say, whoa, whoa, that's not good. That's not good for me. That hurt. See, that's the Holy Spirit saying this is not good for us. We need to pull away. Quick. Don't leave your hand there. You need to pull away. See, we all know that with enough exposure to these hot elements, we can develop what is called calluses. You know, I watch these, these, these waiters and waitresses as they bring you hot plates at a restaurant, and they say, be careful, the plate's hot. And I'm thinking, you brought it here with your bare hands. <laughs> and I touch the plate, and I'm like, whoa, they weren't lying. This is really hot. How in the world did they bring this to my table? It's called calluses. After a while, your skin, as a, as a protection, begins to harden. It does this to protect itself. I remember when I was learning to play guitar. And I remember playing, playing a few hours on the guitar and holding the strings. And my fingers, my fingertips were killing me. I was like, what is going on here? It felt like if I touched one more guitar string that it was going to rip through my skin. But see, what had to happen was that what I learned and realized in trying to learn the guitar was that your fingertips had to go through a process of hardening in order for you to hold those strings down. 
It was just part of the process. This is what your skin naturally does to protect itself. And so over time, as I kept playing guitar, my fingertips began to harden. And there was no more pain when I began to hold those strings. You see, although this may be good for all the guitarists, this is deadly when it comes to our Christian life and conviction. This is deadly. Don't allow yourself to become calloused to conviction. Don't allow yourself to become hardened because of, because of habitual sin. You see, it's amazing how God created our bodies. But we need to be careful when this leads into our spiritual lives. See, we in essence become callous to the Holy Spirit conviction. And as we continue to engage in sin, our hearts grow harder and harder and harder to the things of God. Your heart grows harder to those around you who start who you know love God. I don't want them around me. Leave me alone. See, this is what condemnation does. But let's look this morning at what conviction does in our lives. Because conviction seeks to draw us away from sin. Where condemnation draws us away from God, Conviction draws us away from sin. John 16, 8 says, And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. What is the sin of this world? Well, we just read it. Verse 9, where it says, The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. The world's sin is unbelief. But today, if you're a believer, that is not you. That's not you. That's the world. There's many who refuse to believe in God, and it's sad. But thank God that you have come to a place where you believe. See, we need to understand something here that's very key, is that the Holy Spirit does not seek to point out your faults. When we talk about the Holy Spirit conviction... The Holy Spirit doesn't hold anything over your head in regards of what you've done or said. The Holy Spirit doesn't say, look at what you've done. See, I told you. I told you you shouldn't have done that. It's not what the Holy Spirit does. See, if you know God, 
then you can begin to know and understand the Holy Spirit. This is real. If you want to understand the Holy Spirit, then you need to understand who God is. Jesus spoke to his disciples and he says, righteousness is available because I go to the Father. See, Jesus doesn't say that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin like he does the world. Instead, the Holy Spirit will convict the believer of righteousness. What do I mean by that? Well, we already said that the Holy Spirit doesn't hold over your head sin that you've done. So what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit reminds us. Isn't that what Jesus says? The Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to teach you and he's going to remind you of all the things that I have done and I have, that I have spoken. So what is it that the Holy Spirit is going to remind us of? It's very simple. That you are a child of God. When you sin... The Holy Spirit's going to remind you, you're a child of God. You're a child of God. You keep moving forward. You turn from that sin, and you keep moving forward. The Holy Spirit is going to encourage you, and he's going to remind you of Jesus' teaching. But the Holy Spirit is going to do his job in preventing us from those things in the first place as well, just like touching a hot iron. We are to pull away. See, what is righteousness? Can we earn it? Can you do enough good deeds to get it? Can we attain this on our own? The answer is no. Why? Because the Bible says that only one is righteous. And his name is Jesus Christ. Psalm 92.15 says this. It says that there is no unrighteousness in him. Oh, thank you, Jesus. There is no unrighteousness in Jesus Christ. And so because Jesus died on Calvary's cross, his blood covers our iniquities. Paul writes this in Romans 3.22. He says, we are, made right by, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. We are not made right because we are good people, because we are, we are uh, uh, you know, giving to so-and-so and, and helping someone cross the street, um, and, you know, we, you know, maybe, I don't know, bought someone groceries. I don't know. These are all good things, but that's not how we attain righteousness. The Bible says that we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. See, so righteousness is simply being in right standing with God. That's what that means. Being in right standing with God. See, conviction, we're going to look at here, seeks, number one, to develop. See, condemnation sought to distort, but now conviction seeks to develop. John 10.10, the second part of 10.10, uh, the first part, as we read earlier, 
says the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and to destroy. And the second part of that says, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. See, the Bible uses words like helper, comforter, advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengthener to describe the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, as Jesus says, will teach us and remind us of all the things that Jesus had taught and had spoken. See, conviction of the Holy Spirit in righteousness brings growth in our lives. See, when we commit our lives to following Jesus Christ, we can't live the same way we used to live. Isn't that right? The Holy Spirit's not going to allow you. You can't talk the same way you used to talk. You can't think the same way you used to think. And you can't act the same way you used to act before giving your life to Jesus Christ. Why? Because the Holy Spirit now dwells within you. And he's going to let you know, believe me, he's going to let you know when you are doing things that are unrighteous. When you're involved in any kind of unrighteous activities, the Holy Spirit is going to let you know. See, God calls each and every one of us to turn from our old way of living. To turn from sin, to follow him. Galatians 5.17 says the sinful nature wants to do evil. Which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. See, this is what is taking place in every life here, is that there is a battle taking place. There's a battle between the flesh and the Holy Spirit. See, conviction not only seeks to, to, to develop you and I, but it also seeks to deliver. John 3, 17 says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. See, the Holy Spirit seeks to spare us from living a life outside of the will of God. Why? Why does he do that? Well, because he also seeks to, sit, to spare you from all the hurt, from all the disappointment, from all the heartache, from all the pain, from all the regrets. Those are all things that we can live without. And this is what the Holy Spirit also says and understands that you need to live without. See, the Holy Spirit opens believers' eyes to the hope of salvation. Remember the enemy said, your eyes will be opened? Remember that when he told Eve? Eve, your eyes are going to be opened and you're going to be like God. Oh, you're going to see, you're going to see both good and evil, Eve. It's going to be beautiful. See, where the Holy Spirit opens believers' eyes to the hope of salvation and the inheritance that you and I have in Jesus Christ. 
Oh, that's, a, that's amazing this morning. The Holy Spirit seeks to save us from eternal separation from God. Ephesians 4.30, and as the worship team comes forward this morning. Ephesians 4.30. The Bible says this, and Paul, speak, Paul writes, and he says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, but seek to please Him, by whom you were sealed and marked, branded as God's own for the day of redemption, the final deliverance from the consequences of sin. Church. Church. You and I are gods. You and I are gods. And the Bible says that in the life of a child of God, that there shall be no condemnation. There will not be any condemnation. You are not to live with that. Yes, you may sin, but know that God still loves you. But God has called us to turn from that. To turn from it, to go the other way. He knows we're not perfect. He says, turn the other way and sin no more. Do this, the Bible says. And as you do this, you will know even further my love. You will know even deeper my forgiveness, my mercy, and my grace. Church, we need to understand the difference here. Condemnation should not be in the life of any believer. No one here. No one. If you've given your life to Christ, there is no room in your life for condemnation. Don't live with it. Don't lock yourselves up in that imaginary prison that doesn't even exist. Instead, allow God to cover you with forgiveness, to cover you with his love, and to help you move forward. To help you move forward as you would with your own children. You wouldn't hold them down for the rest of their lives, would you? You would help them move forward. You say, all right, you burn the house down. You're gonna help rebuild it, <laughs> and we're gonna move forward. We're gonna move forward. This isn't the end, these are just material things. Maybe you crashed your parents' car. It's just material things. I remember my brother when he was first learning how to drive and he crashed into our garage. <laughs> they don't hold it over his head still. <laughs> my parents never bring that up. I bring it up because it was funny. <laughs> God loves
loves us. He loves you and I. Allow the Holy Spirit's conviction in your life to operate as it has, has God intended it for, to do, but to convict in righteousness that he's gonna remind you you're a child of God. God loves you. God has great purpose for your life. He's gonna remind you. He's gonna remind you of who you are in Christ, amen? Let's give God praise this morning. Let's give him praise. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, you are worthy to be praised, Father. You are worthy to be praised. Great is your faithfulness. Lord, we thank you for exposing the enemy for who he is. He's a liar. He's a liar. And Lord, we believe in the truth. And we know that the truth will set each and every one of us free. Thank you, Jesus, for you are the truth. Hallelujah. As every head is bowed, every eye closed.